Hello. Hi, Noor. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I have to tell you, I'm just so happy to have you on the line. It's a, a real pleasure, but also an honor to speak with you. This is the first time we're speaking, just so listeners know. But if they follow me on Twitter, they know I I follow you over there, and uh, I'm just a great uh, admirer of your work. I think you're very brave, very tenacious, and.、Uh, I think we owe you、uh, a great deal for all your reporting on this travesty that is this insurrection narrative. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much, and it's so great to finally connect with you and have a conversation about what's happening here,、uh, and especially what's happening to our political prisoners, which never thought America would have, but we have them under the Biden regime. No, you're absolutely right to call it a regime, and there's just so much to talk about and unpack around this one-six narrative, from all the lies that have been told, even as the event was unfolding,、uh, questions around Nancy Pelosi and security being denied on that day, extra security, the whole、uh, synchronization of lawmakers, the mainstream media, head of corporations. Not to mention the different departments of the government, intel agencies, and first of all, the FBI involvement. As you know, our friend、uh, Darren Beatty has proven to be the case on that day and、uh, and prior. This whole orchestration of this quote insurrection slash Fed surrection, everything around one six. But you've covered all of these aspects. Extensively, I have your book sitting on my desk, which I started reading. I'm about one fourth in. It's so well documented. But there is one aspect that I really look to you in terms of getting the information, because nobody else has covered this as extensively as you. Is the treatment of the political prisoners by the DOJ in the aftermath of one six? And I really would love listeners to know more about what's been going on and how. Upstanding American citizens have been treated, and as you call them, you know these political prisoners under the Biden regime, facing just such horrendous, appalling treatment, and their rights are being completely denied. So, if you can just talk about everything you've been doing, basically for a year and a month or so. Well, thank you too for buying my book,、um, and for the listeners, it's available on Amazon and also Barnes and Noble and some other、uh, websites. And it just gives an overview of really what happened leading up to January sixth, a very detailed timeline of what happened that day, and then of course how the Democrats have weaponized the four or five hour disturbance. On January sixth, to launch this war on terror against their own citizens, people on the political right. So this has been the premise for all sorts of really egregious, unconstitutional, inhumane、uh, treatment of people, and this includes the political prisoners. So these are people who were rounded up by the FBI, all of them subjected to pre-dawn. Raids at their homes with armed FBI agents, in some instances aiming rifles at elderly women and children,、um, handcuffing the perpetrator or suspect, ransacking their homes using really SWAT vehicles, in some cases to knock down the front door of people's homes.
arrested and carted away. And of course, this applied to people really early on. So these are people who weren't, some of them didn't even know why they were being arrested and that it had anything to do with January 6th. So in dozens of cases, these men were hauled off, they were arrested, they went before a judge. The DOJ asked the judge to deny them bail, not because they were a flight risk, not because they had a criminal record, because overwhelming majority of these men still being held do not have a criminal record, but simply based on charges related to January 6th, including assaults on police officers, carrying weapons, some of them even for nonviolent crimes like conspiracy, crazy stuff. So the DOJ, in at least 100 cases, have asked for what's called pretrial detention, which means denying the release of a suspect or someone charged with a crime, giving their family no opportunity to post bail, and let them out awaiting trial. So it's really important for people to understand these are not men who have been convicted of any crime. In fact, in some cases, they don't even have trial dates. And at the same time, while the DOJ is asking for these men to be held behind bars, they are delaying trials, delaying what's called discovery, which is giving up all the evidence to support their charges against these individuals, delaying trials, delaying discovery. And or we will have, in many instances, people who will be behind bars for a year and a half, nearly two years, before they even have a chance to go to trial and defend themselves. They are political prisoners. The DOJ wants them considered political prisoners. And unfortunately, federal judges in Washington, D.C. are going along with this and have signed off on these pretrial detention orders at least 100 times. Can you tell us about a couple of cases that you've looked at closely? Sure. So there are men who have been charged with nonviolent crimes, as I said, conspiracy or obstruction of an official proceeding, which is a felony, but certainly nothing that would be considered violent. It's never been used against political protesters, but Biden's DOJ has now slapped this charge against at least 220 January 6th defendants. It is also the charge, by the way, that the January 6th committee wants to refer to DOJ on Donald Trump. So I'll give you one example. Timothy Hale, who is the alleged white supremacist, Justice Department calls him a white supremacist. They interrogated four dozen of his co-workers to get their views on Tim and decide if he was a white supremacist. Uh, he was an Army reservist working at a naval base. He had a conversation with a colleague who was wearing a wire who led him into all of these weird questions about civil war, et cetera. Anyway, he went into the Capitol, walked in an open door, was wearing a suit and tie, brought no weapon, didn't vandalize any property, didn't attack anyone, nothing. Um, he basically turned himself into the FBI after he was questioned on the naval base where he worked. And he has been behind bars since January 15th, charged with obstruction of an official proceeding, entering a restricted area, disorderly conduct in a restricted area, really far-fetched charges. But he has been in jail since January. His trial is now scheduled for May 23rd, and the government is still trying to delay that trial as well. 
You know, Julie, this is what's really crazy, is that you have the available video footage, notwithstanding the 14,000 hours that they're still withholding from the public and the detainees, but you have these images where the doors were opened by security. You had a last-minute order to restrict the grounds that people didn't really know about, barriers right. that were lifted, and people didn't even know they were trespassing. And all of a sudden, they get slapped with this charge of trespassing, although they were allowed to go in. That's right. So it, there were two things really happening that day. So you had the first breach of the exterior perimeter of the grounds, which somehow were off limits, which I don't even know how you could just cut off access to the huge grounds around, cap around the Capitol building. I don't think it's ever been done before. Um, so you had this first group that breached the exterior. There's like a few metal racks and a few Capitol Police officers. They breached that exterior line about 10 minutes to one. It's important to note Trump was still speaking at that time. So you had people who were at the ellipse about a mile and a half away who were listening to Trump's speech. Some of them started to leave, heading you know, towards the Capitol, heading back to their hotels, wherever. But the first group was not at the president's speech. And they were the ones, and this included, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, Ray Epps, mm -hmm. who still has not been charged. And whose transcript was, of his interview we still don't have access to. The commission won't give it to us. That's right. So the J6 committee actually lied <laughs> and said, you know, when Senator Cruz started raising questions about Ray Epps' identity, who he was, why he hadn't been charged, January 6th committee came out and said, oh, well, we talked to Ray Epps. He's, he's not a law enforcement informant. Okay. Then they came out two weeks later and said, oh, guess what? Ray Epps is going to sit down with a transcript for a transcribed interview with the committee. So they couldn't even get their own story straight. Not surprising because it's run by a bunch of dummies like Adam Schiff and Liz Cheney. Yeah. So that was the first official breach. So the people who were arriving after Trump's speech, by that time, any of this lightweight fencing and bike racks, whatever they had up, were gone. So people have told me when we arrived, we saw smoke. You know, we heard that there had been fights between certain people and police. We heard flashbangs going off because police were attacking people outside. Uh, the crowd, including people arriving from Trump's speech. And this is what really set off a lot of the confrontations, and I talk about this in my book, between protesters and police, because cops were attacking people left and right. They were throwing flashbangs. They were using pepper balls, a rifle. So the police would have a rifle with these pepper balls that deploy pepper gas into the crowd. D.C. Metro Police used something called sting balls, which when they hit the ground, they released rubber bullets. And so this is what police were doing that day. But aside from that, at the same time, you also had Capitol Police, and this is on surveillance video that was finally uh, unsealed a few months ago. You see hundreds of people entering the building around 2.35, 2.40 that afternoon. Hundreds of them just walking in with Capitol Police standing right there. And you could see this happening. And so... I think what people thought they saw on January 6th on TV, this organic uprising and attacks on police, unprovoked, et cetera, is not the full story. 
So these people who walked in and had police standing there certainly did not think that they were committing any kind of crime because no one was being arrested. No one was being told, you know, in the outside system, this building is closed. The grounds are closed. Please exit because most of the people would have done that. They were lured into this trap. Exactly. It wasn't an insurrection. It was an entrapment operation. That's exactly right. These people, for the most part, were lured into this trap by a few factors. I'll just go over them quickly. The fact that Nancy Pelosi and Muriel Bowser declined requests, including by the chief of Capitol Police, for more security that day. They declined it. Muriel Bowser only authorized the use of about 300 National Guardsmen to help with traffic that day. We know Nancy Pelosi, her sergeant-at-arms, and Mitch McConnell, his sergeant-at-arms, who sat on the Capitol Police Board, which would have authorized extra security that day, declined requests for days for more security. So they left the Capitol building intentionally unsecure, which is a critical point. They did not want thousands of National Guardsmen there because the Guardsmen would have been told, protect the building, protect the grounds, help Capitol Police and D.C. Metro Police. They also would have looked at these cops when they were attacking American citizens and said, what are you doing? Why are you throwing flashbangs into this crowd? Why are you punching people? Why are you throwing them off the building? I mean, we have video evidence of all of this. Mm -hmm. So they kept the building and the grounds intentionally unsecure. And this is super important. The people who wanted the proceedings that day to be halted were not Republicans. It was Democrats. Because, and this is a critical thing that's overlooked. What was going to happen that day is you had United States senators working with Republican congressmen, per the Constitution, to contest the electoral results in six states. What was going to happen was the senators working with congressmen were going to object and they were going to have two hours of debate for each state walking through all the election fraud in every single state. And what they eventually were going to do, and they had 10 Republican senators, which was huge, who were going to call for a 10-day audit. They were going to suspend certifying the election that day, call for a 10-day audit in each state to try to, which was a stupid move. I'm going to say right now, it was a Hail Mary. They had squandered two months where they could have really helped the Trump campaign Republicans in these states try to vet all of the election fraud in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, Nevada, and Arizona. But they didn't. So this was a Hail Mary. It was a dumb approach, in my opinion. But that's what was going to happen. The Democrats didn't want that. They did not want the American people to hear from the House floor what happened in these six states. So the Democrats wanted the proceedings shut down that day, which is why I believe what we saw was a very carefully orchestrated riot, insurrection, whatever the name of it is, to shut down what happened, which it did, to scare these senators into coming back and then pivoting, you know, backing off of their plans, which they did. And so in the end of the day, the Democrats got what they wanted, which is no audit, no vetting of the electoral fraud in these states, and certification of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So this, as I keep saying, was an inside job. And we know that the FBI now, we hear now every week, the latest Durham filings, the depravity 
corruption isn't even the right word for what's happening in our FBI and DOJ, the depravity of the people who are there. And so we cannot overlook the fact that the FBI, working with other government agencies, working with political actors, which Ray Epps might be, um, perpetrated what happened on January 6th. And that's a shocking thing for a lot of people to grasp, but that is what happened that day. No, absolutely, Julie. And I think there were three goals. You just mentioned the first immediate, urgent one that needed to be accomplished of certifying this fraudulent election. The second one was impeaching President Trump so as to try and torpedo any of his moves and try to drown his, quote, political career. And the third one was the justification to expand the national security state, to use it as a, a justification to squashing any form of dissent or anyone who would dare question the legitimacy of the regime in the first place. And this is what we're seeing play out with the political prisoners that we've been talking about. The case of 1-6 is so crucial, is so critical at this juncture in the world, in America, because it touches upon so many things and illustrates all the ways which you just described in which these agencies and these government departments, which are supposed to be working for the American people, are actually working against the American people and have been completely weaponized against them, whether it's the FBI, as we know, and you just mentioned, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, the different intel agencies, the Department of National um, Intelligence, all of these people are working together with the Department of Justice, which is supposed to be impartial, but they're all, they're all working together. Th that is exactly right. They are all working together, all of these extremely powerful, unaccountable agencies, um, working with Congress, working with the media, more importantly, to destroy these people, humiliate them publicly, which is what exactly what they're doing, too. Working with federal judges of both parties. I mean, I'll tell you what, the Trump judges I hear on the D.C. District Court, like Trevor McFadden, are as bad as the Obama judges, the Clinton judges, etc. So these people are up against such a rigged, powerful, soulless uh, operation regime that they really have no shot. But I will say the flip side is these trials and people are going to trial. And these are people, including people who have been incarcerated who I'm sure the government thought, and in some cases they did, torture them into plea deals, which is what happened to Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman, you know, the guy who had the mm. horns and the body paint. That man committed no violent crime, wasn't charged with a violent crime. He's on video talking to Capitol Police who tell him, we're not against what you're doing, but you have to, you know, no assaulting, don't destroy anything, just be peaceful. This is a cop telling Jacob Chansley this. They followed him into the Senate chamber. He said a prayer. He made some goofy, you know, movements for, for the photographers, all the photographers, by the way, who were inside the Capitol that day filming all of this. We never talk about that either. Anyway, he was uh, basically turned himself in a few days later, 
he spent 317 days in solitary confinement. Even though he has mental health issues, the judge ordered a mental health evaluation of him. 317 days in solitary confinement before he finally pleaded guilty to obstruction of an official proceeding and then was sentenced to 41 months in prison on top of what, not in addition to, of course, that was time served, the 317 days. And this was a Reagan-appointed judge who sentenced him after hearing what Jacob had gone through, knowing he committed no violent crime, telling him, this is the judge, you, you know, you are one of the faces of the attempt to overthrow our democracy. So that's basically why you have to go to jail. I mean, this is what these people are up against. But the trials that are coming out, the DOJ now is trying to delay and conceal evidence, including video footage that would exonerate these defendants. Um, they have had to backpedal on a huge lie that they told, which I write about at American Greatness, which is that Kamala Harris was in the building during the protest that day. She was not um, using her presence as a pretext for thousands of misdemeanor charges. And now they've had to backtrack on that. And they can't confirm that Mike Pence stayed in the building either, which they have said in thousands of criminal complaints. They presented that to a grand jury, and they've said that to judges. That also may not be true. So as the trials proceed, we are going to find out a lot more about what the DOJ prosecuted people with, their lack of evidence, attempting to conceal evidence. And of course, finally, we will learn a lot more about the FBI's involvement that day. This is what's encouraging, Julie. You know, all these lies that they've said from day one as the events were unfolding are all unraveling. Also, you reported on that extensively, the fact that it wasn't a, quote, armed insurrection, and they also had to backtrack on that. The number of deaths, that there was actually no deaths that day at the hands of Trump supporters at all. All of these lies have been debunked since then, with the biggest one about, you know, the fact that it was a, quote, insurrection, that it was planned and everything by Trump supporters, that Trump incited violence. And now we know that it was purely FBI orchestration, actually, and pre-planning. Uh, and that has come out. So as you say, this information every day is coming to light and the narrative is collapsing no matter how hard they're trying with, and you mentioned this specifically as well a bit earlier in the call, with all of the might of the mainstream media trying to portray this as an insurrection, as a violent mob, etc., the facts just unequivocally prove otherwise, and the trials will further vindicate all of these political prisoners. But the thing is, how do we rectify the treatment that, I mean... Chancely is never going to get these days back. That's right. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how these people ever can get redemption. You know, it, it's sad, Nora, because the people who I talk with say, you know, the criminal charges are one thing. Having to find lawyers, having your business bankrupted, having your family life destroyed, you know, being alienated by relatives, neighbors, co-workers, being turned in by co-workers. I mean, what these people have gone through is horrific. They've told me that's, that's one thing. For many of them, just as bad is this vicious, cruel news media, including local news, by the way. 
who refer to these people as insurrectionists. They don't even flinch. They don't even bat an eye when they use that term. And basically canceling these people and harassing them, making their lives more miserable than it already is. The media adding on to it for a lot of these people is just as bad as the legal consequences. This is something in your book that you wrote, you know, how all the talking heads, the, the powerful people, all coordinated with this insurrection messaging from the get-go. Uh, whether it was CEOs of corporations, everybody on, on the mainstream yep. media, these presenters, etc., and the lawmakers themselves, just as soon as they came back into the chambers, starting using the words insurrection, sedition, it was like a script that was pre-planned and they just coordinated because it was immediate. It was immediate and it was, they were all singing the same tune. Exactly right. So this was an operation, as I say, and I'm glad you brought this up. The term, the word insurrection had been floated around months before January 6th by Democrats. Um, Democrats war gamed out. Democrats, never Trumpers, the media, other corporate interests, sort of war-gamed out the response, whether Trump won or Biden won, and claims of an insurrection, Trump authorizing an insurrection or, or using the Insurrection Act was part of their strategy. So no, what's interesting, what I detail in the book, is the word insurrection was used immediately that day. It started coming out by Democratic lawmakers about 3 o'clock that afternoon. But this is an insurrection. They didn't even know what the hell was going on, right? Or they did. I mean, they knew what was going on, but it's not like they could actually see it. So they started using the word insurrection that afternoon. Joe Biden gave a speech around 4 o'clock that day. He called it an insurrection. George W. Bush releases a statement that evening around 5.30, 6 o'clock. He calls it an insurrection. The media is calling it an insurrection. This did not just happen, Right. This doesn't just happen. This was the talking points. These were the talking points that went out ahead of time. This is what we're going to orchestrate. This is how we're going to describe it. This is going to be the result that day, which is shutting down the audit and the vetting of all the electoral. And then this is how we're going to weaponize it after January 6th. We're going to destroy Trump, everyone around him. He'll be poisoned. We're going to impeach him again, which they did. But this time now we're going after his voters. And we are going to unleash not just a war of terror, but a terror campaign that will frighten everyone out of more political protests, out of protesting Joe Biden's election, which they shut down, excuse me, his inauguration, which they shut down that day too, which happens every four years, right? Mm -hmm. So 2017, you had hundreds of people torching Washington, D.C., fighting with police, right, getting arrested. Those charges not only were dropped... They sued the city of D.C., and some of them settled. There was like a $1.5 million settlement to pay these people who said that they were wrongfully arrested for burning down, looting, not burning, but burning. You know, they were setting trash cans on fire. They were destroying businesses, smashing windows, attacking cops. But they were the victims at Inauguration Day 2017. That was not the case on January 6th, of course. And so now they're using this. You could see, and I think people are waking up to silence and criminalize political dissent. They're doing it to Trump voters. They're doing it to Republican congressmen. They're doing it to Trump's family again, of course, to Trump. 
That's what's happening in January 6th committee. But the DOJ investigation is targeting regular people. Nora, there are three, the FBI has arrested at least three times more people on federal crimes for January 6th than they have the total of the rioting, looting, death and destruction in 2020 for the BLM riots. Three times as many people have been arrested for federal crimes for January 6th than four months of rioting, looting, mayhem in all of 2020. Oh, the double I mean, standard is a joke. Yeah, and, and the America, most Americans see right through that. They, and that's what I think it. I get the most, that people are upset. Okay, they want people who committed crimes on January 6th to pay, but they also know not only were 2020 rioters not charged, but the DOJ now is actively dropping cases related to events that happened in 2020. No, it's just really sickening watching all these events unfold, you know, even from afar. And you mentioned it, the FBI actually calling for family members and co-workers and friend relations to turn to turn in people they know who went to Washington, D.C., um, all the different ways that Trump supporters are being targeted. You remember that story with Bank of America that probably illegally gave information to the authorities about transactions that occurred in or around D.C. on mm-hmm. January 5th and January 6th. I mean, all these different ways in which the American population, half of the American population, those who are Trump supporters, those who oppose in any form the encroachment of their rights by the regime are just being denied their constitutional rights and their freedom completely. And it's just so sickening and sad to watch and talking about the detainees and how they're being treated. You've reported on this as well. You know, I really read uh, like all the articles you publish, but some of them even being denied medical treatment. I mean, the way that they're they're being treated is tantamount to torture in some cases. But in any case, they are being completely denied a fair trial. And anyone who claims to be a supporter of justice should be completely appalled by how they're being treated on whichever end of the political spectrum you find yourself. And the jury trials, while we will get evidence um, that the DOJ is trying to conceal or lie about, unfortunately, the jury pool is going to have to be comprised of residents of Washington, D.C. This is a city that voted almost 94% for Joe Biden in 2020. And some of the defense lawyers have commissioned polls to D.C. residents to see if they could get a fair jury. They are not going to be able. You have more than 70 percent of the people who are polled in D.C. calling this an insurrection, automatically applying guilt to anyone who went into the building that day. They are besieged by not just national news coverage, but of course, it's a local story in Washington, D.C., I have no idea how these people are going to get a fair trial. They All these trials should be moved out of D.C., but the judges so far have refused to do so. They can't get a fair, ju- a f- a fair juries, and they're going to need hundreds of them. Um, they're going to have to move some of these trials out of, out of the beltway. But that's the thing. These prisoners are being considered and are being treated as guilty 
before before even going to trial and the whole concept of innocent before being proved guilty has been completely thrown out the window yes due process presumption of innocence um speedy trial act being able to prepare your own defense which of course they can't even get they can't even see their defense attorneys the people in the jail let alone look at the discovery when their defense lawyers send evidence to them the jail guards are withholding it for months and so everything that we cherish you know especially presumption of innocence fair trial etc all of that has been denied these people because they are considered by this government by this regime as domestic terrorists and they are being they're actually being treated worse than Gitmo because as i'm sure you remember there were all sorts of activists demanding fair treatment of the terrorists in Gitmo right exactly. they had defense attorneys they had the ACLU they had all these left wing radicals they even had republicans say you know we still this is not who we are we have to treat these prisoners the american citizens are being treated worse than the people at gitmo exactly exactly and they have no one defending them including most of the republican leadership in washington dc who have been utterly silent to the fact that we have a political prison in the shadow of the us capital and republican leaders like mitch mcconnell kevin mccarthy all of the leadership has said nothing about these people. No, I mean Julie, we could have a whole other conversation about the fecklessness of the GOP and how these people are not defending their constituents and you know, you remember the story about Cuba last year and they were there and defending the rights of Cubans while upstanding US citizens were just rotting away in jail in solitary confinement. It's I have no words uh for these people and how how they're not being vocal about this this critical issue it's the whole entire judicial system and we just mentioned the presumption of innocence the right to a fair trial the blind application of the law all of this has been thrown out the window these are gross human rights violations uh, julie and barely anyone is talking about this i'm sitting from the outside and i'm completely shocked to see that not more lawmakers thankfully you know we have Marjorie Taylor Greene we have Matt Gates we have some some of them you know and speaking of which when they tried to go see the detention conditions they weren't even allowed to go in and see how uh, detainees were being treated and no nobody is uh, better right. than i that's exactly right and luckily Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louie Gohmert were not deterred they went back and demanded to go inside and finally after a few hours and they didn't just visit the DC gulag for our political prisoners but they visited the entire jail that entire DC department of corrections is an inhumane un-american system that before january 6th was condemned by both democrat and republicans in congress so this is even a bigger issue right i mean we cannot treat people like animals we cannot treat people subhuman and expect them to behave like human beings. So, this is a larger issue. I testified to Congress on this a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and especially COVID has made the prison situation even worse. And what's funny is the same Merrick Garland whose prosecutors are asking for pre-trial detention for even non-violent offenders for January 6th, um, now wants to not 
return people who had been released under COVID from prison wants to keep them on home detention or home incarceration, not returning them to prison because that's inhumane. But what we're doing to the January 6ers, apparently Merrick Garland has his full endorsement. This is what's been really sickening, you know, the past year or so, Julie, watching Merrick Garland or Mayorkas, Lloyd Austin, all these characters, you know, at these different departments all singing the same tune of white supremacy and domestic terrorism and all these labels that they're putting on patriots. And, you know, I talked about this on the last call as well with Pedro, this DARPA document whereby they came up with a new category, patriot extremism, for anyone that dares stand up to defend the Constitution. Basically, this is what it is. Everything we're talking about, it's all about Americans wanting to preserve their constitution and to have their constitutional rights protected. And we have on the other side a regime that all it wants to do is shred the constitution to bits and transform America into a complete tyrannical state whereby they have all the power and they've done everything and this is what I've dedicated myself to the last, you know, year or so in in trying to expose over decades throughout the 20th century, they have done so many things in order to rob Americans from their constitutional rights and teach them not to even know what they are. That's right. And now I think I saw something, I don't know if the headline, um, freedom now apparently is a bad, is a naughty word. So those of us who are cheering the Canadian truckers for individual freedom and liberty, apparently freedom now is a naughty word. It's a, it's a term of insurrection. Um, it's just, but look, this is why Biden is so unpopular. Mm-hmm. This is why the Democrats are terrified that they are going to lose. They could lose like some projections I've seen up to a hundred house seats. We have, I think we're now up to 35 retirements heading into the midterms. And of course the midterm elections are what six months away, seven months away. So they are, they're terrified. And so instead of realizing that none of this stuff works is working on the American people, except for the deranged base of the democratic party. And we have to accept that these people are deranged. You have millions of Americans who would be happy if all of us were in the D.C. gulag. I see this repeatedly. They wanted more people than just Ashley Babbitt executed by Capitol Police that day. These people are deranged. Democratic Party's base is deranged. Um, So we can't do anything about that. But the majority of Americans see this regime, see the media complex, see all of this for what it is. And instead of realizing how toxic and truly dangerous and destructive this is, the regime and the Democratic Party and the media are tightening their grip, right? This is what a political power, a political party that's losing power does, right? If they were winning the hearts and minds of Americans, they wouldn't have to do any of this. They are tightening their grip because they're losing. And this is going to be a a more terrifying year as they continue to lose support. They are going to find more enemies to punish, and this is going to not end well for them, but in the meantime, not end well for a lot of innocent Americans who they are now targeting. 
No, I completely agree with your with your assessment. And uh, the one six narrative collapse is largely due to the fact that the American people are awake to what's happening. And despite this reprogramming that I just mentioned, that they've tried very hard to do on the American population, it's just not working. It's not sticking. You guys have a lot of common sense. And it's just so, so grotesque what they've tried to push. The presidency of Donald Trump was such a gift to all of us, not only in America, but across the world, because it did help wake up people to the tyranny that these governments were trying to foist upon us. And as you say, it's going to get more difficult in the next few months. We have some tough months ahead to go through, but in the end, the masks are off and we see them for what they are, for the tyrants that they are, and it's being reflected in the different polls, etc., no matter how hard they try to mask all their misdeeds. That's right. And, I mean, speaking of masks, all this happens hand in hand. I think the overreach with the vaccine mandates, the refusal to give up mask mandates, even though there are now the CDC and all the quote-unquote experts now finally admit two years later what we all knew from the beginning, which is masks don't work. But this is all for compliance. Mm -hmm. So when you see a lunatic like Justin Trudeau, he's no different than your average governor or mayor or school superintendent who wants the same sort of submission by what they view as their subjects. Mm -hmm. So this is all working hand in hand. And I truly believe that people will prevail. Good people will prevail. The truth is going to prevail. The American system of justice right now is a travesty, but I think eventually it will prevail. It has to, right? Yes. We cannot let the Justin Trudeaus, the Joe Bidens, the Merrick Garlands, uh, Mayorkas, you know, all uh, Lisa Monaco, Avril mm -hmm. Haines, Hada Diana. We cannot let bad people like that win. And they're not winning. Because this is not how winners act. This is how losers who are, and their lust for power is, uh, is insatiable. But at some point, they're going to be cut off. That's what's happening now. So I think we should sort of be optimistic because this is not how healthy, normal people behave when they are winning. No, they have their backs against the wall. The only thing we really need to keep our eyes open because... I suspect there are more false flags on the way in order to justify further tightening their grip, as you mentioned, further justifying their crackdown. And um, as we just discussed, you know, you, you briefly touched on COVID. There's so much we can talk about. One six is just the embodiment of how a regime or a government is going to create a crisis in order to expand the national security state and what is really alarming with what's been going on the past couple of years is if you look at the tragedy of 9-11, there was this expansion that happened in its aftermath, but it went through some form of procedure or congressional approval, etc., cetera, uh, even though it was very questionable, you know, how the Patriot Act was signed, the mm -hmm. date, and in the middle of the night, etc., all the different circumstances around that. But here with 1-6, they aren't even bothering. You reported on this really well, actually. You reported on uh, the expansion of the U.S. Capitol Police last July. 
they just came out with a with a document saying how they were going to expand their surveillance powers, and there's no oversight, no congressional approval, nothing. Thankfully, we had a few lawmakers that wrote a letter, which, correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't really been answered, asking questions about under whose authority this was, how this expansion was authorized. We don't know. Can you tell listeners about the expansion of the USCP? Uh, yes. So they were awarded with $2.1 billion in new funding from Congress as a reward for what they thought were saving people's lives, which they killed people <laughs> on January 6th, but they thought that they defended these lawmakers, which they were played part of the role of the inside operation that was January 6th. Anyway, $2.1 billion in new funding, um, and now they've expanded what is called this intelligence unit that is now headed up by an Obama, former Obama official, Homeland Security official, who presumably worked with Lisa Monaco who was Obama's last Homeland Security advisor, and she is now running the Justice Department. So they've expanded this intelligence unit. They're now spying on Republican lawmakers, their staff, their donors, and even their constituents, um, and I guess putting together these dossiers on Republican lawmakers. And now the Inspector General, according to a report by the Federalist, I think it was last week, the Inspector General of the Capitol Police now is investigating this intelligence unit and seeing what these officers and analysts are doing uh, outside of the scope of what the Capitol Police are supposed to do. Furthermore, the Capitol Police wants to open offices in every single state, starting with Florida and California. This is not the charter of the Capitol Police. They're supposed to protect Capitol buildings, protect the grounds, watch people coming in and out. But they are like this little Stasi for the Democratic Party, and they have no oversight, nor they're part of the legislative branch. We can't FOIA them. They are trying, they want to conceal this 14,000 hours of surveillance video saying that it belongs to them, not the American people. You can't FOIA any communications between Capitol Police and any lawmakers or, or anyone. They're totally opaque, unaccountable, little mini Stasi. And uh, now they are spying on lawmakers. And what they're going to do, and we saw this in Russiagate, is they're going to collect information on Republicans. They're going to leak it to the media. The media is going to report it as anonymously sourced intelligence officials to smear Republicans. So we're going to start seeing a lot of that, especially once we get closer to the election, uh, 2022 midterm elections. You've reported on these characters like Lisa Monaco and Avril Haines, etc. And it's important for listeners to know is that these people are GOP confirmed <laughs> in their appointments. Yeah, don't even get me started. Lisa Monaco, as I said, top Obama official. She was a Russian collusion hoaxer. She was the one who announced that they were going to uh, produce this report on the Russian election hacking. She was a CNN contributor bashing Trump and Republicans all the time. And Lisa Monaco not only got 48 Republican senators to vote to confirm her, she didn't get one question in her confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee about her role in Russia collusion hoax. Not one question. Now, she's running DOJ. Avril Haines, who is a John Brennan lackey, oh. worked for him. Yeah. 
Avril Haines is now Director of National Intelligence. I believe she got 34 or 35 Republican senators to vote for her, her confirmation. And in her very first report on March 1st, 2021, she issues a report outside of the purview, by the way, of her authority, which is to monitor foreign threats. She produced a report calling domestic violent extremists a top threat to the homeland and included a sketch of the Capitol building, of course, suggesting that those who are violent extremists are the ones who are against pandemic rules, lockdown rules, and views about uh, the illegitimate 2020 election. They're not even trying to hide it. Like They're flaunting the fact they're using their authority to go after people, and they were almost fully endorsed by the Senate Republicans. To their shame, um, we just cannot have these people in power. I hope most of them lose their, <laughs> I hope yeah. almost all of them lose their primaries yeah. this year. They probably won't, but it would be nice if they did. Yeah. You also made this very astute tweet, if I may say, uh, in the last couple of days since the latest with Durham came out. But what we're seeing around 1-6 up to today is the continuation of what was started with this whole Spygate Russia hoax. And um, right. Michael Flynn had said, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn had said, if they can do this to me, and obviously if they can do this to a candidate and then sitting president of the United States, obviously they can just do that to anyone, and this is what we're seeing play out today. Um, I've said it only took four years for the FBI to ambush someone like Michael Flynn in the White House, set him up to ambushing Americans in their own homes. Four years it took, that's all. Because, as you know, no one has paid a price for Russia collusion, not one. And what's coming out of the Durham probe is so fascinating yes. and even shocking to people who have covered this, investigated it. The extent to which they use their power to spy on Trump, now finding out that they monitored his Internet activity, not just as a candidate, but as the sitting president of the United States and trying to funnel that information to the FBI, which, of course, was only happy to accept it. The depravity of these people. They should, I was going I mean, to you say. Always, you always have to applaud their ballsiness, right? I mean, this is nothing a Republican would ever dream of even trying, let alone doing. Because you had the Democrats' political operatives with an open door, not just to the DOJ and FBI, but the State Department under Obama. And, of course, the holdovers after that. So it was just one, um, I don't, I, maybe it was Lee Smith, somebody just like this whole bubble, right, of the media, political operatives, DNC, Clinton campaign, and these top federal agencies all working together. You used the word several times in, in the call, depravity, just the level of depravity that these people have displayed They've sold their soul to their masters, and they're not even flinching. And around this whole Russia hoax, they all went on television, lied without any scruples about the links between Russia and President Trump while giving testimonies under oath saying that they had no evidence of collusion. Right. 
Cash Patel and Amanda Milius and General Flynn. We've had calls, you know, before for the podcast, so my listeners are are very familiar and I encourage everyone again to go and watch Amanda's movie, The Plot Against the President, based on Lee Smith's book. But what's happening right now, living through this, is, as you said, fascinating, watching everything unfold. I'm, I'm an optimist and I have faith, first and foremost. I have faith, you know, it's taking time. Everyone, everybody was like, where's Durham? Where we're kind of seeing where he was now. <laughs> he is yeah. delivering, <laughs> for thank sure. Thank God, right? yeah, yeah, thank God. Yeah. And so I, I'm still holding the line. I'm waiting for things to be, for justice to be, to be made. I'm waiting for justice to be made, including for these political prisoners and um, we really can't give up. And on that note, you know, you've been so brilliant, Julie, and so brave in just not letting this go. And, you know, I have tremendous respect and admiration for you and Darren Beatty and everything you've done since day one to try and succeed in dismantling the official narrative. It's, it's so important. It's a pivotal time in history. And you two have been uh, instrumental in poking holes, big, big holes in that regime. Well, we're getting there. And uh, thank you so much for having me on and for covering this and for reading my book and uh, inviting your listeners to do the same. I have a piece up today, another big hole in the pipe bomb story uh, that, you know, supported the terror that allegedly was going to happen on January 6th. So there's a piece up on that uh, at American Greatness today. But we are getting there, slowly but surely. And I just am so grateful for your coverage and and support of my work. So thank you so much. No, absolutely. And I encourage all listeners to go and get your book. I I have it in my hands right now. And to read all your articles at American Greatness. You cover 1-6 from all different angles. And it's important, the... The ramifications of 1-6 and the magnitude of what happened in its aftermath will be studied in years and years to come. That's uh, right. And we need more and more people to be aware of what the federal government is doing to its own citizens because there needs to be a complete overhaul of all our institutions, of the government at local and federal levels. Americans need to reclaim their country from these criminals well said well julie you'll have to come on usually my calls last about 30 minutes we're almost you know an hour in i feel like we could talk for like three more hours just on one six and what it means and all the ramifications there's just so much so many angles to cover um with one six but again you know your book does a really good job at condensing everything I'm sure you'll have to do a re-edit, a new edition uh, in not so long oh, yeah. with all the new information that's coming out. Sure. Yes, I think we're, I could write a whole new book just on what's happening since I wrapped up my manuscript uh, in November. So, uh, yes, we'll, we'll have another, another edition up probably towards the end of the year. Will you come back on soon? I would love to. That would be really great so that we can keep listeners updated. And uh, listen, I know you speak with um, with detainees on a regular basis. Um, please continue, you know, sharing their stories with us. It's really important that we don't forget them as they as they sit in jail waiting for trial and 
in these egregious conditions and under such duress. So we're really holding out for them and thinking of them and praying for them. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to them. I know it. And I will pass that along for sure. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. We'll speak soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.